you have your Bibles this morning, if you would open them on or turn them with us to 2 Samuel chapter 20. And uh, we have been going verse by verse through the book of 2 Samuel now for months. And we went through 1 Samuel before that. And uh, 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel have not been easy books to go through. Uh, There's a lot in these books that's very challenging, very difficult. Uh, Today is no exception. Uh, But today I want to just give you a couple things to start because I hope that you will be mindful of this. One, when you read through the Bible, and we're going to look at a messed up chapter, all right? There is sin and brokenness and division and murder. And I want you to see this and remember that no matter where you are at or how broken you think your marriage is, how broken you think your late family is, how far gone a relationship is, that God is in the business of working in the messiness. Uh, God understands our sin. He understands that we are broken, and He knows what we need. And so when you read through this and think, wow, I thought my family was jacked up, um, it's not to rejoice in their suffering. It's to be reminded that God can work in yours. The second thing I want to say is that there are two extremes when you talk about sin in church. One, we have the extreme that sin doesn't matter, that you know God just loves you and, and you can do what you want and you can live how you want and God is okay with that. And then there's another extreme that is that, that there is no hope, that uh, you, you smiled so you've sinned today and, and there's this really legalistic um, anger about everything. But yet the Bible teaches us a very balanced view that we are sinners, that we have sinned against God, that we have broken God's law, and there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love and favor. But even though God knew our sin, God knew our brokenness, He loved us and sent His Son to die upon the cross for us. Uh, And yet, even though we can be forgiven of sin, and when we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us. The consequences of that sin don't always go away. I have to repeatedly ask God to forgive me for the sin of gluttony. But as you can tell, the weight doesn't just fall off because I've asked for forgiveness. You probably have said something that you shouldn't have said. You've asked God to forgive you, but yet people don't forget what you've said. Um, But I want to just reference back to the second hymn that we sang this morning, the third song, uh, God's Grace is Greater. And I want to read you some of these words in that um, lyric. Marvelous grace of our living Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. It teaches us that even though we are sinful, even though we are guilty, God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace can cover that. It goes on and says, Yonder at Calvary's mountain outpoured where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. What our faith teaches us is that Jesus Christ literally went on a cross and was beaten and crucified for us. His sin was placed, our sin was placed on him, and he took that punishment. It was horrific, awful, terrible death, but yet when he spilled his blood for us, it covered our sins. When he died upon the cross, His perfection, His holiness 
became accounted to us when we believe. And so today, as we look at sin and consequences and, and all of this stuff, I hope that you will be reminded that no matter if you're here today guilty, if you're here today ashamed, if you're here today and think you do not have any problem, that God has a purpose and plan for you. But I want to talk to you today about be on guard with your heart. Be on guard with your heart. Uh, all of us know uh, that our hearts can be broken, our hearts can be hardened, our hearts can rejoice. And the Bible tells us to be on guard with our heart because our lives, our actions, our decisions are an overflow of the heart. And so when the heart becomes wicked, the heart becomes cold, the heart struggles with angriness, uh, then the body begins to reflect that. And in Proverbs, the fourth chapter, the Bible says these words, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And today we're going to be looking at people who had some serious heart issues, and it made their decisions reflect that. But we're also going to be looking at how those decisions have consequences. And today I hope that you can say, you know what, I've seen that in my own life. God has blessed me, I've been faithful, and God has multiplied His blessings. But if you're like me, you can look back at your life and say, boy, I have also seen how the consequences of my sin have stayed with me. They have lingered longer than I would like for them to linger. And so today I just pray that you will, will listen, that you will stay involved as we go through this. And so if you would pray with me, we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that you would speak. Lord, you know me. I'm sinful. I'm confused. I'm, I struggle. Lord, you know my failures and my faults. And So God, I just pray today that you'd forgive me. Lord, I ask that you would speak to this congregation. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in them. God, that they would leave different than they come. Lord, that you would help them. Help me to be who you want us to be. Father, for that person that's here that's never truly trusted and believed in you, that today would be that day. And God, we thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in chapter 20, what has happened is King David, if you remember, has fled the country. His own son tried to lead a rebellion against him. His armies fought. They won. His son was murdered. And so after all of this drama, all of this mess, King David is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's on his way back to the capital. He's back to finally be able to be home and to experience the blessings and the victory that he's won. But if I have ever read the Bible and thought, can more bad things happen to one person, this is where I'm at with King David. Because before he even gets settled in, we see another rebellion. We see another battle, another division. And today you might be here like that. Jake, every time we seem to finally be climbing out of the hole we're in, something kicks us down. We just got over this cancer diagnosis and now someone in our family has got this. We just got caught up on our bills and we got laid off. I just got my sin that I'm struggling with, overcame, and now I'm struggling with another one. Friends, you are not alone. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, the first thing that I want to show you is a rebellious heart leads to wicked decisions. Starting in verse 1, as you remember, they were arguing, they were having this discussion about who was going to be with the king, 
and we now see in verse 1. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Betri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Betri. Now, But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to the king. So stop right there. So all of the tribes except for David's rebel again. They just got done rebelling, getting defeated, and here they are again. And so David once again has an entire rebellion against him. And while this is heartbreaking for David, never forget that this is happening because of David. If you remember David's sin earlier in this book, the consequence of that was that the sword will never depart from your home. And so while David knew that he had been forgiven by God, he knew that God still had a purpose and plan for his life, the drama wasn't gone. And you need to be reminded of that today, whether it is a family drama, whether it is personal drama, whether it is a struggle that you have internally, and you just keep asking God, why am I having this fight? Why am I having this battle? The fight and the struggle and the battle that you're in does not define who you are. If God said you are His and He has forgiven you, you are His. The circumstances and the situations, as bleak as they may seem, do not define who you are. It goes on though. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them, so that they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. Now let's stop here again. So there were ten women that David had taken. Um, to be pretty much his side chicks, if you want to say it in today's language. I don't know else how to say it. I said it in the first service, I'm going to say it in the second service, all right? Ten women who were not his wife, who were not honored to God by this situation. And what happened is when he fled town, he left those ten women to take care of the house. And what happened is when his son came, he did something with them that only a married couple should do. And it was shame, it was embarrassing, it was wrong in every way. And so as David comes back to town, there are these women who he has been inappropriate with, he has been sinful with, it has been breaking God's law, and he can't do anything about it. And so he takes care of them financially, he moves them into a place where they will be widows for the rest of their life. And all of this heartbreak was whose fault? It was David's. The Bible tells us that a king should never have more than one wife. Because why? It'll distract you. It'll turn your heart away from God. But yet David's decision resulted in these women's heartache and their pain. But yet I want to remind you that even though this was going on, it didn't define David. And there, these women who had had this done to them, even though it had happened to them, it did not define them. Because when God deals with you and God forgives you and God changes you, your circumstances might still be difficult. Your reputation still might be ruined. But with God, you have been made brand new. And so we see the consequences of these sins. 
He goes on in verse 4. And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Betri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So Joab's men went with the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and all the mighty men went out after him. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Betri. Now don't miss this here. What happens is David tells this man, who he has made the commander of his armies, load up, we're going to go get this guy. We cannot let another rebellion grow and foster. But what we see here is, if you look in these verses, it says Joab's men. Joab was the last commander of David's army. But David had stripped him of that position because he murdered David's son. And this man, Amasa, was an enemy general. But David said, I'm trying to bring the country together. I'm trying to bring the people together. I'm trying to reconcile what has happened. And so he says, you go round up some more support and come back. And for whatever happened, we don't know why he didn't make it back in time. And so David says, we can't wait. We got to go. And he picks Joab's brother to be in charge. What he is saying is, Joab, you're not going to be in charge no matter what you want. The decisions you've made have removed you from a place of trust. It's removed you from a place of authority. And I want you to see this today because so many times in our own life, we think that our sin does not have consequences. Our sin does not affect us or the people around us. But yet it does. But even though Joab had done these things, it did not define who he was. It did not define his person, his reputation. The things that he did continued to build upon this. And in your life, friends, you might have been a liar. You might have been a drunkard. You might have been a carouser. You you might have been a, a, a prideful person, whatever it is. And friends, when God forgave you, He forgave you. He forgave you from all of it. And God looks at you as white as snow. And God looks at you as a brand new creation. That's the wonderful thing about the Christian faith. That God will set you free. And He will cleanse you from all of your sin and all of your shame. But friends, we must never forget that the earthly consequences of sin sometimes follow us the rest of our life. And so I want to show you this. This rebellion that Sheba has committed. Because even though this rebellion has happened, very little is mentioned about him. And in your heart today, I want you to know something, that all of us struggle with rebellion. All of us struggle with being stiff-necked and stubborn. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul was being told that he would no longer be the king. And the Bible says these words, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. Now all of us would sometimes say that being stubborn is a good thing. Being committed is a good thing. Being strong-willed can have its personality and have its place. But look what the warning is. Rebellion and stubbornness are sin. 
That's why the Bible tells that true godliness is to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Christian, you shouldn't look for every fight that you can attend. You shouldn't constantly be looking for someone to fight with. You shouldn't constantly be looking for the next person that needs to be corrected or tore down. You need to understand something, that God does not bless rebellious spirits. God does not bless stubbornness in our heart. And we see this in King Saul because King Saul was trying to be somewhat obedient to God, but not completely obedient to God. I'll defeat your enemies, God, but I'm not going to destroy everything. I'll wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifices, but I won't wait very long. And so you might not lead a rebellion against a country, but friends, all of us can be rebellious in our hearts against God. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is getting ready to hand over leadership to the nation of Israel, to Joshua. And he tells them this word and gives them this warning in Deuteronomy 31. Take the book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? He says, you've had a rebellious spirit while I was here. And I'm Moses. I was chosen by God. I was spoke to by the burning bush. I've led you across the, the, the dry land. I have been with you. And so some of you are not brave enough because I'm here. But he said, the next guy's in for a rough mess because he won't have the same authority, the same privilege that I do. And your heart is rebellious. He was warning them that rebellion is always on the doorstep of our heart. Stubbornness is always on the tip of our tongue. And friends, if we're not careful, that rebellious and that stubbornness will cause us to make decisions that defy God. Second thing I want to show you from this text this morning is the dangers of a rebellious heart, but also an unforgiving heart leads to wicked decisions. An unforgiving heart leads to wicked decision. So Joab, Abishai, the king's men are marching toward the enemy. In verse 8, When they were at the large stone, which is Gibeon, Amasa came before them. The guy that was supposed to be leading the army shows up. He's got more men, more people to help support. And what happens? Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he struck him with it in the stomach. And his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brothers, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. I want to just stop right here, and you're thinking, what in the world are you teaching us? I didn't write it, okay? I just explain it. So Joab sees this man who's taken his spot, and he's bitter, he's jealous. He's got unforgiveness in his heart because this guy was just recently a traitor and King David forgave him. And not only did he forgive him, he's got my spot, my title, my men. 
He's got everything that was mine. And I'm going to do something about it. I want you to see here because when you read it, it almost looks like Joab just dropped his sword and he's like, oh, I'm going to pick it up and stab. No. What most commentators believe is that Joab, because we've seen him do this very same thing to someone else, is that in his belt that he would hold his sword, he had had it designed in a way that if he moved a certain way, his sword would fall out. And as it would fall out, he could catch it by the handle. And as he caught it by the handle, before you even knew he was coming, he would stab you. And what we see is, is Joab tells this man, how are you today? It's a common greeting. How are you today, Mr. Browling? I hope you're doing well. I hope things are going good. And as as you're happy and content, well, well, thank you for being so... Boom! Stabbed him in the gut. Now we know this is not only vengeful, but it's vindictive because he just stabs him once. Now I've never been stabbed, alright? I'm just going to tell you, I've never been, you know, but I've watched a lot of movies. And I stayed in a Holiday Inn Express one time, all right? But when you see a movie, someone that gets stabbed one time usually doesn't die very slow, fast, right? It's a slow process. It's painful. It's awful. It's just... And that's what we see here. Because the Bible says he didn't stab him again. He stabbed him and left him. Look what it says there. My Bible's here somewhere, all right. Look at the, look in verse 10. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichra. They didn't even care. They murdered this man and said, come on, let's go. Leave him in the street. We see here that Joab's unforgiveness and Joab's bitterness and Joab's jealousy has caused him to grow so cold and so hard-hearted that murdering a man in the street didn't even bother him. And today I say that to you, friends, because what your sin today might seem small. It might seem like a little unforgiveness. It might seem like a little hatred. It might seem like a little lust. It might seem like a little pride. Today, what seems small eventually spreads. It eventually corrupts. And so when we go on in this passage of Scripture, I want to just show you this in verse 11. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa. That's the guy that is dying in the street. And said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. He literally is standing by this body and saying, if you don't want to end up like this, just keep on marching. If you don't want to end up like this, you better know who you follow. And that's Joab. And Joab follows David. Not only is there vengeance and vindictive, it is an arrogance and pride that says, I can do what I want and you can't do anything about it. I I can murder someone in cold blood, in plain sight, and get away with it. You see, there's arrogance. It's this belief that sin doesn't have consequences. And friends, we read this story and think, how could that happen? But friends, you're watching it every day in America. You're watching it on the news. You're watching it in the streets where America has told God we can love who we want, we can do what we want, we can go where we want, we can kill who we want, and there is nothing that you can do about it. Friends, that is a mistake. Because let's go on and just read what God's Word has to say. Meanwhile, we just read that, verse 12. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. 
And when the men, man saw that all the people stood still, he moved a massive from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him. And when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted, when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Betri. So they still wouldn't go. He's like, this is going to happen to you. Let's go. We ain't going. And they did what most of us did. He took the body, he put it in the ditch, and he covered it. What he did was he got his sin out of sight. And friends, let's be honest. We do not have a problem with our sin, usually unless no one else knows about it. Unless someone else is talking about it. And this is the pattern that we see in our own lives. One, we rebel against God. Joab had rebelled against God. Two, we commit the sin that we want. Joab did the murder. Then he told people, just ignore it. Don't worry about it. And when that wouldn't work, they covered it. And friends, that's how our hearts work. We're no different than Joab. There's, we know what God's Word says. In our hearts, we begin to drift from God. We act upon those sinful desires. And then we think there's no, nothing bad going to happen. And then once we find out that there is something bad, we hide it. But look what the Bible says in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19 says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He says that unforgiveness and bitterness will ruin you. And so we've seen a rebellious heart lead to action. We've seen an unforgiving heart lead to action. And then third and finally this morning, we see that wicked decisions have consequences. Wicked decisions have consequences. Starting in verse 14. Starts in verse 14 and says, and he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Machai and all the Barites. So they were all gathered together and also went after Sheba. So Joab is, is just bringing support with him. He's like, come on! We, we're, we're marching to victory. And these people begin to follow him. Then they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Machai, and they cast up a siege mound against the city, and it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. And so what this is is just military strategy, right? Sheba, this guy that led the rebellion, has retreated into a city with walls. And Joab is setting up a perimeter, right? He, he's enclosing the town so nobody can escape. So that this guy can't flee. They're processing the military campaign. In verse 16, though, these words of a wise woman. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. When he had come near to her, the woman said, are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. So she spoke saying, they used to talk in former times saying, they shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. 
Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? This woman who was of a, of a later age, who had lived a while, comes to the gate and says, I'm not sure why this is happening, but Joab, why would you destroy our town? Their reputation as a town was that they were peaceful people, that you could disagree and come and have your disagreements settled there. And so she says, why would you do this to us? So what we know is that Sheba didn't really have a very big following. Everybody said they'd go with him, but when they push came to shove, it was very small. And so she just asked Joab, why, why is this happening? And let's be honest, in our life, you've probably asked that. I don't know, what, what, why is this happening, Lord? Why did my loved one pass? Why did I get diagnosed with cancer? Why was my job eliminated? Why do the people that are supposed to be my friends not stay loyal? This woman had done nothing in this story to bring this war and this army to her doorsteps, but here it was. Here it was. And tonight, that might, this morning, that might be you. You might be saying, Jake, I was raised in a terrible home and, and some of the emotional and physical damage that's done to me, I, I didn't have any control over. Maybe things have happened in your past, abuse and, and, and things that should have never happened. And today you are here saying, Jake, I didn't do anything to cause that. Why me? Friends, what we see from this story is you are not alone. And even though it was not your fault, and even though you did not bring this on yourself, you need to know something. There is someone who will listen to your petitions. There is someone who will listen to your request. He goes on in the same passage of Scripture in verse 20. And Joab answered and said, Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. I want to just stop right there. Do you not see the hypocrisy in this? I wouldn't destroy anybody. He just got done murdering a guy in the street. How quickly our own sin can be covered up. How quickly are we... It's, it's not a big deal. He says, that is not so, but a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri, by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. Joab says, hey, if you give me him, I'll leave. There's no reason for more battle, more death, more heartache, more pain. Now, this gets a little gruesome, so if you have a weak stomach, I'm sorry. All right. It goes on and says, so the woman said to Joab, Watch. Now, I don't know how you have to watch to pay attention for this, but this woman was like, you need to be watching this. His head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew the trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. It's verses like this why most pastors don't preach verse by verse, word by word, book by book. But what we see here is that this man Sheba's wicked decisions had consequences. He led a rebellion, and he led against God's anointing. His wickedness and sin had tore a nation apart again, and he paid for it with his life. Today I want to say this, that I hope that this doesn't happen to you. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think it needs to be said, but I just want you to know that I don't want this to happen to you. But what I do want you to see, though, is the principle behind it. 
But mom and dad, you might not think that your sin has consequences for you, but it might be that it affects your children. Dads, you might not think that how you raise your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord matters. You might think that, well, it's mom's job. I'm just going to check out. I'm going to make the money. I'm not going to be the spiritual leader of my home. It doesn't matter. It does. Spouses, you might not think what you're watching or who you're flirting with matters to your spouse, but it does. You do not know the damage that your sin might bring until much later. What we see here in this passage of Scripture is something that I hope that we will all be on guard in our own life. That so many times the heartaches in our life were caused by other people. Many times they're caused by ourselves. But in Galatians chapter 6, I want to read this to you today. Do not be deceived. Do not lie to yourself. Don't let Satan lie to you. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now most of us in Hamilton County have seen farmers or know farmers or are farmers or have family that are farmers. And the analogy here is so important. What he says is that there are certain times of year here in Hamilton County that you will see very few tractors on the road. You'll see very few tractors in the field. As winter ends up, everything's dormant. But here in a short few months, that will all change. You will see farmers, you'll see, uh, you'll see tractors, you'll see plows and discs, and, and they'll be getting the ground ready. They'll be planting and they'll be doing all of these things to sow the seed. And man, they will go nonstop, right, for weeks and even a couple months. Then it's just, got to get it in, got to get it in. One week they're asking to pray for rain, the next week don't pray for rain, right? And, and it's all this, just, it's go, go, go. And then they get the crop in the ground, and then it's kind of like, oh, is it going to grow? Is it not going to grow? Are we going to get rain? Are we not going to get rain? How is this going to unfold? And there's that period of waiting. And if you begin to drive by fields, you'll see a little bit of crop pop up. And then as the summer goes on, it gets taller and taller and taller. And then at some point, you begin to look and say, that's about ready. And then all of a sudden, you start again, right? There's combines and there's grain trucks and there's semis and they're getting it out of the ground, right? They're reaping what they have sowed. What we forget is most of our life is kind of spent in that summer. We've done the action... And we're waiting for the results. Sometimes that can be a great blessing. Some of you today can say, my mom and dad love the Lord. They taught me the things of God. They poured into me. And you know, even though I wandered for a season, or even though I struggled in my faith, when I got older, God really blessed that. And my faith is better now because of the influence that my Christian parents had on me. Or my Christian youth leaders. And they really poured into me, and I've seen the results of that. What you've seen is that waiting period. But friends, many times it's the other way. Many times our sin, our failures, we commit them and think, hey, we got away with it. 
No side effects, no, no pain, no heartache. But then much later, we begin to see that. If you're a parent, you know that it's very easy for your kids to begin to pick up your terrible traits. My kids are no different. And I have terrible traits. Some of them that are awful. And I, so when I get nervous, I make fun of everything. All right? My coping mechanism for everything is just laugh about it. Doesn't matter what it is, laugh about it. That is a terrible coping mechanism for most things. Joke about everything. Don't worry about sensitivity. Suck it up, buttercup, all right? The problem is, as an adult, you begin to realize there are some times when you have to tone that down. The problem with an 11-year-old is they've not yet quite figured out when it is appropriate to turn it down. So that trait that you love so much about that you go, oh no, oh no, oh no. Where did she learn that from? Her mother, you know. And that's kind of a lighthearted one, but friends, we do not realize sometimes the damage that we are doing. As a pastor, I look back over these last 11 years and I can think of the great things that God has done. And watching Noble's baptism this morning, it's just a reminder. And I, I can think of baptizing uh, people in their 90s and their 80s. And just I can, I can look out over the crowd and see how, how the world said that some of you were beyond hope. And God has changed you and reconciled you and healed you. And, and it's just a wonderful blessing. But what I can also look back and say is all the things I wish we could do different. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have, wish we would have handled it different. I wonder what would have happened if we would have done it this way. And I think about all the things that if we wish we would have done different, maybe the results would be different. But what I want to challenge you today is this. Wherever you're at in your journey with the Lord, know that your decisions matter. And know that the heart behind those decisions matters. And the only way that you can have a clean and pure heart The only way that you can have your motives focused on the Lord is by truly giving your life to Him. That's why the Bible says, Lord, it created me a clean heart. Friends, we need Him. We need a relationship with Him. Today, you need to have a relationship that's based on the fact that He is graceful and merciful, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is willing to forgive any sin that you have ever committed. But never forget that sin is serious business. That sin can tear your marriage apart. Sin can tear a church apart. Sin can tear a business apart. Sin can tear a family apart. And while we as a culture have really became one that says it's not sin, don't talk about sin, what we've seen from this passage of Scripture is that when sin begins in the heart, it knows no boundary. And so today, whether you're here saying, Jake, I've not been a very good husband. I've not been a very good father. I've been a terrible co-worker. Know that that does not have to define you. That your past does not define you. Jesus does. But if you're here today and you're living in sin, what that means is that you are continually practicing sin. Not that you lost your temper because someone cut you off. Not, not that, you, that, you, that you had an inappropriate thought, but that you are living in sin, that you know it's against God's Word and you are wallowing in it. Right? You are embracing it. 
Know this, that God loves you, God will forgive you, but there are consequences to sin. There are consequences to sin. And that's why in Matthew 21, these words of encouragement are given to us. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. That word for rent, relent means repent. What Jesus said was the most outcast in society, the, the people that you look down the most, the people that society says has no value because they are so corrupt, heard the message and believed. But you didn't. And what repentance is, is this. Repentance is recognizing under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner. That you have broken God's law. But yet God loves you. And repenting is when you repent of your sins. God, I am sorry. God, I have sinned against you and I am turning from my sin. God, I am turning from the wickedness. I'm turning from the brokenness and I am turning to you. And the Bible says if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you will repent, if you will turn and put your faith and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, He will save you. But if you're here today and you're a believer and you're saying, I've already taken care of that, the premise is still the same. As a believer, when you begin to fall into sin, when you begin to struggle with sin, and you're embracing that sin, the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and says, you need to turn, you need to repent, you need to get right. Repentance is when I say, Lord, I have sinned against you. And I am going to turn from my sin. I'm going to turn away from whatever is defying your word, Lord, and I'm going to turn back to you. What we have convinced ourselves repentance is, is this. God, I'm running from you. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep running from you. God, I'm sorry for my sin, but I'm going to keep running from you. God, I'm sorry for my sin, but I'm going to keep running from you. God, I'm sorry for my sin, but I'm going to keep running from you. And that is what we have explained repentance as. But it's not. If you are truly under the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning, and you are truly running from God, repentance is when you stop running. And sin causes you to stop because of the power of God and says return. And when you turn, you need to know something. The Lord's already waiting. The Lord is waiting to welcome you home. And so friends, turn from your wicked ways. And embrace the love and forgiveness that Jesus has for you. Do it for you. Do it for your family. Because God blesses His people. Pray with me as you stand. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord, You know today this is not a sermon that I would have preached on my own. Lord, it's not a sermon that I would have ever drew up on my own. It's not one that I would have went and found ever. But Lord, your word is true and it's accurate in every way. And so Lord, you knew what we needed. You knew the people who would be here today. You knew what their struggles would be. And so God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that right now that your words have been implanted into the hearts of people and that God, right now there is conviction happening. God, right now there is restoration happening. Right now, God, you are showing us that our decisions matter that our relationship with you and others matter. 
And God, that you want to bless us, that you want to work in our lives, and you will if we will just let you. And so, Father, for that person that's here that thinks they're too far gone or too broken, Lord, I pray that you would show them that you have a purpose and plan for them. Father, for that person that's here today that thinks they don't need you, that they're too good for you, that that they've taken care of all the stuff, but yet they don't truly know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them. Lord, I pray that while our families might be in a good place, that we would lift up those families and friends that we have that are hurting, that are struggling, that have problems. And Lord, just make this a church that reflects you, that honors you in all that we say and do. And so, Father, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.